Thanks for tuning in to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. All right, so we got another part with Andrew Broomfield again. Andrew, thanks for coming on the show yet again. You're welcome. Um, so today, I just wanted to talk about, the, the, this episode is called The Technology Story. And with this, this resurgence of technology, um, especially in Toronto, as well as the rest of the world, um, I really want to hone in on that specific topic um, and get a sense of from you as to where it is now, where it's going in the future, and how people who want to get in who don't have the knowledge or background in technology to get in now. Um, so, I mean, just briefly, Andrew, I know you've already talked about it in a previous episode, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yep. So just, uh, got into, well, you know, curious kid, uh, grew up just building things, things with wood, things with, you know, cardboard boxes, all that stuff. So me and my closest friends, you know, our whole thing was just, uh, we were just creators. And, um, if we wanted to play, you know, capture the flag or some kind of military game, we would first spend time, you know, making our own uh, guns and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's all we did. And then, so, you know, fortunately I was around the time where computers were just, just starting to become, I wouldn't say mainstream, but entering the household. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get, uh, my first computer when I was, um, 11 years old. And from there I was, I was hooked. And because I was building all these things beforehand, I thought for sure, uh, if you look at my grade eight yearbook, it was like, I wanted to be a, mechanical engineer. Uh, but that changed once I got to my first computer and I started to create things, uh, on the, on the computer. But, um, again, you know, I was at the, the start of this whole industry, right. And becoming accessible for, for pretty much anyone. Um, so it was a different time and it was a lot more forgiving in terms of, um, you know, how quickly you had to learn things and just the pace, everything, although it was fast, it's nowhere like it is today. For sure. And where would you say technology originated from? So I would say, you know, technology has been with us from the beginning of time. I mean, it's an inherent trait that humans have, right? To be inventive and to find ways to um, solve a problem, right? So I still don't know how they built the pyramids, but obviously some side of, some sort of technology was involved um, not digital, but there's something that they did in order to, um, you know, roll those blocks into place, how to determine how to line up the pyramids, you know, so, that, you know, it basically lined right up along the, the longitude and latitude lines mm-hmm. and they still can't figure out how they did it. Right. Um, so there's a lot of things when we look back, you know, you look at anything, you look at the, the Notre Dame uh, cathedral that burned down, right. Mm-hmm. You look at, the architecture and whatnot that was put into that way back when, right? So technology has always been with us. Um, and then it, it, it turned, uh, digital. And in the beginning, it was, um, again, just automating rudimentary tasks like calculations and whatnot. Um, but if you're talking about technology today and where it's going, it used to be that, you know, the thought was that most of the stuff came out of the, the United States. 
And there's reasons for that, right? Um, in terms of, if you look at NASA, right, mm-hmm. a lot of the, the, the digital technology that we have today, even before that, the analog technology, communications technology came out of space exploration, right? The microwave. I mean, there's a number of inventions that were wouldn't be possible if they didn't try to go to the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but and so you could say that for a long period of time, the United States, um, you know, had a monopoly on technology, right? Because of all the money they were investing in military and in space program. Um, but I'm I'm seeing that the field is being leveled um, with pretty much every country in the world, whether it be India. Russia, Israel, um, they're, they're all up there, Canada, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what makes it different now is that you have so many players um, getting into the technology space and doing stuff that's really, really pushing the boundaries, right? So like I said before, when we talk about AI and the advancement of artificial intelligence, one thing that's concerning to everyone is that just like the nuclear arms race, no country is going to back down from advancing it even if it starts to cross ethical lines and show some um you know potential for danger like terminator scenario Mm -hmm. um no one's going to stop that that uh that box has been opened and i can't see just like nuclear proliferation you can tell iran to stop producing nukes as much as you want they're saying oh if you don't have nukes we're a sitting duck yeah right same thing with korea same thing with everyone Right. So whether you know or not, everybody, every country has a nuclear arsenal because they can't be the ones left out. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is the same kind of thing that's happening now with AI and the potential. I don't know if you've seen some of those deep fake videos. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. With Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, being mapped yeah. over the face. Um, so when we start looking at that. Um, yeah. There's, there, there's a, it, there's a lot that's happening and it's going to be up to, uh, governments collectively to put together some kind of regulatory framework or oversight, just like you have the United Nations and whatnot. Somebody's going to have to govern this space mm-hmm. for sure. Interesting. Um, and right now, I mean, how do we know? Like people say we're in the technology age, but how do we know that's true? Like because even like you said, technology's been around forever, mm-hmm. right? So how do we know this is like? The, the, the shifting point because we've always had control over technology mm-hmm. and now we're creating technology <clears throat> that essentially can think for itself. Mm. Right. So a perfect example is Google ran this experiment <clears throat> where they had these two computers powered by this AI program. And what they were trying to get it to do is for the computers to talk to each other. Right. Um, and, and have a conversation because that could prove that the computers could think for themselves if they were able to communicate like how we do, right? So that was the experiment. Very quickly in that experiment, the computers went from English and invented their own language and started communicating to each other. Wow. The researchers unplugged them because they're like, what the hell, Mm. right? (laughs) So (laughs) that is a different – we've never been in this realm, right, where we're creating something – that can think for itself, right? And, you know, the pervasiveness of technology, I mean, everybody has, or a lot of people have, you know, Google uh, Assist in their home. They have Nest thermostats. So what this, you know, what's referred to as the Internet of Things, uh, there's pervasiveness of connected 
technology. And that's the key because with connected technology comes a lot of uh, risk, right? From the standpoint of hackers and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I hack your Nest system, I can tell when you're home, when you're not home. I can tell a lot, right? And so if I'm a, I'm a, if I'm a robber, a burglar, um, you know, I know the optimum times to, to go in and, and, and rob your house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that. I mean, you hear now that there's, there's countries that are trying to enact laws um, because what's happening too is that when a relationship goes south, there's been so many instances where the other partner has bugged that person's home, right? Has installed cameras and everything that are all connected and essentially cyber bully them because they're seeing everything. They're locking doors on them. Like this has happened wow. a lot. It, it, it's happened a lot. So they're like trying to create a new classification of law um, to, to deal with this. Right. But again, I would say that we're in the technology age or the digital age or what is commonly referred in the industry as the digital transformation error because we are handing so much control over to technology, which we've never done before. Mm-hmm. Right. We're giving it the ability to think and do things on our behalf. That's the difference. Interesting stuff. And I think we touched upon this and it, it sort of segues into exactly what you're saying. Um, for those who lack the experience in technology, how do they get hired in this field? I mean, based off of the conversation we just had right now, security is a big, big component of it. But is there any other, um, I mean, maybe you can speak on that and any other areas that you think people could specialize in? So the funny thing is, is I did a lunch and learn yesterday uh, with an insurance brokerage. And I was talking about the whole lunch and learn was on cybersecurity, right? And and um, talking to the insurance brokers, not only for their own needs, but also how to advise their clients on the need for cyber insurance, right? And one of the biggest things that came out of that conversation or things that the executives were grappling with was like, well, how did these big companies get breached? Because they got all this money to invest in the best IT and blah, blah, blah. And I said, it's not about the IT. So the IT works, right? A security device that has all its firmware up to date, um, latest and greatest, it works. It does what it's supposed to do. The weakest link in, in security will always be humans, right? So as we were having that lunch and learn, Desjardins got, they announced that they had a 2.9 million data breach. Wow. Right? <laughs> so perfect timing. It, it, perfect timing because it's real the argument that the big boys are safe. Um, and, 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 and to further my point, it was a disgruntled, uh, employee who convinced someone to give them their password who had elevated privileges. And with that password, they were able to access that data and then they made it public, right? And so cybersecurity is probably a wide open field for anyone to get into because it's really cybersecurity comes down to understanding human nature and, and, the risk inherent with how humans naturally behave mm-hmm. and, and trying to protect businesses from that risk. Right. So for example, in that case with Desjardins, disgruntled employee, so you got to start to know and have triggers when someone in your firm is becoming disgruntled and what access do they have and who they're talking to. You got to communicate to employees that under no circumstances can they share their Passwords, it's a firing offense if they do so, and they could be criminal prosecuted if a breach like this occurs. 
So these things have to, these are policies, right? This isn't IT. This is straight policies, right? Um, one of the things that commonly happens um, is that people impersonate vendors or employees to go into organizations and steal laptops and whatnot. So I think I gave the example in the last uh, one that if I went downtown right now and I was dressed in my suit and tie and I naturally build rapport with anybody in the, in the, in the elevator, right? So finally, summer's, summer's arrived, right? Look at outside. It's nice. I can build that rapport and disarm people really quickly. We get off the floor now and you need a security badge to get through those doors. I follow that person in who I just built that rapport in. Nine, 9% of the time, they're going to let me in. They're not going to say, Oh, wait, where's your, where's your, your access card? Mm-hmm. Right? Because humans aren't wired to really do that. And especially if you look the part. They're not going to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, and so again, these are things from a cybersecurity standpoint or even a physical security standpoint, you have to, uh, in that role, um, you know, create the conditions for that, for that not to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's, that's one of the major things. If I can get into that floor and so and so is out to lunch and I just see that laptop on the, I just pick it up and I walk out. Right. And now I probably have some super sensitive information, depending on what floor I got off, uh, that I can now use to uh, to further compromise the organization. So when we talk about technology, we got to understand that you know security it, it it's in the, the industry of technology, but it requires so many different skills. Um, a lot of time, former police officers go into security because they've got those investigative the investigative mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then depending on, you know, what the industry is, if you're in healthcare, you can go into health IT or IT security, mm-hmm. right? Because you know the physical environment of a hospital or a clinic and will have a different perspective in terms of how you secure that. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think that's wide open for anybody who doesn't have a background in tech. So the one thing that I've, I've think I've said before, and I'm really trying to beat the drum on now is that even if we look at the NBA draft, yesterday yeah one of the things they said was wow there's a lot of second generation players right so those are the kids of former nba players which completely changes the landscape right because these kids are are raised in basketball with elite trainers elite facilities their their fathers of the caliber knows the plays knows the drills knows the rigor so these have these these kids have a tremendous advantage tremendous advantage right and so i equate that to where the technology field is today i was lucky enough that i grew up as it was coming into the household and and we had access to it right so my generation is the first who had access to this right and and so my kids are going to have a totally different perspective and handle on this than someone who didn't have a parent who's in IT, right? The same way that the NBA players, the, the sons of NBA players are going to have a completely different advantage when it comes to this. So, you know, although I'm not teaching my kids how to code, I'm teaching them how to think logically from the get-go, right? I'm only grooming them for an understanding of this field. And I think that's huge. So I always caution when I see like these... um you know, these, these, uh, code camps and whatnot for kids. Um, the, 
I, I, I'll never say that I don't encourage them. I do because I think everybody should learn how to code or at least think logically and critically. And what we talked about before in terms of the, the deep fakes and the Schwarzenegger videos and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. One of the future of work skills that are going to be highly in demand is just the ability for you to think and do your due diligence to determine if something's real or fake, right? Mm-hmm. Because things that are fake are going to be so real like it's going to be hard for you to discern until unless you have that investigative or due diligence mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, with the kids, I think that they should start learning those skills as early as possible. Um, I, I just caution everyone when it comes to thinking that if you throw your, your, your son or daughter or you take kids and you put them in a code camp, that they're going to become coders, mm-hmm. right? Because coders as a different mindset and mentality, right? They're type A people. If you don't have type A people developing software, you'll have very buggy software, right? You have to be a perfectionist. And even as a perfectionist, you'll probably still have bugs in your software. So the more perfectionist you are, the less chances of a bug occurring because you're just so thorough, right? Mm -hmm. Not everyone's cut to do that or to think like that or to perform like that, right? So it's not an industry for everyone. And the other thing is that it moves very quickly. So if you want a nine to five lifestyle and kick back on the weekends, this is not the field for you, right? If you're one of those people, your group that you work with is going to be so apparent that they're way more valuable to the team than you are, that you will be pushed out, mm-hmm. right? So I often equate it to once you get on that treadmill and it's going at speed 10, you got to stay at speed 10, right? You can't, can't get off, that, yeah. right? You can't get off. So if you're not cut for that, um, then you, you might want to look at cybersecurity or something else uh, that doesn't have the, the same rigor as engineering because engineering is very competitive. And what makes it even more competitive is that we're competing against engineers around the world, right? That will yeah. do what we do for a quarter of the price, yeah. right? So, you know, for, for us to survive uh, in, in, you know, in the West, for example, um, with a higher pay scale, we have to bring a lot more to the table uh, or, or we just have to be deliver that much more of a premium to justify the rates, right? Also just keep sending it overseas and getting it done for a quarter of the price, right? And so that's why I think that if you're a mediocre developer, you, there's no point here, right? Because they can get it done at those rates, but with higher quality in so many different places around the world, whether it be Romania, Poland, India, Malaysia, you name it, right? They're all becoming coders as well, right? So, um, so if you don't have that background in technology, you don't have that, you know, you're not surrounded by people who are in technology. Um, you just, you know, it's not, you know, all is lost. It just means that you really have to have that mindset and the personality traits to, to excel in this field. Yeah. Right. And, and you're going to have to do a lot of stuff on your, on your own, uh, to get up to speed. You can't just go to a course and rely on that. You got to constantly be pulling books on your own and resources and trying things and building stuff, um, to, to, to develop that credibility. Right. 100%. Cause again, when you're put into a room with other developers, it's, it's very apparent. It's so apparent, right? Who's up to date. And passionate about it and who's just looking at it that it's a job that might pay a lot of money very very clear to see mm-hmm. all right um so yeah okay 
Um, I was listening to a podcast just yesterday, actually, um, called Sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. And they, um, there was an episode where they were talking about how, um, you know, a lot of people are worried about jobs, but in reality, like there's going to be more jobs available in the future. It's just a transition we're going through. Um, and they talked about how, um, some of the jobs that are going to stay are the ones that require like the human nature, the human aspect. So like nursing is probably going to stick around for a long while. Like there might be advances in technology that they'll use, but like people would still prefer that nursing care, right? You can't for at least for a long while, that's something that you can't really replace. Right. So, um, but, but it is interesting, like the security aspect, like you can still go to any field and still use that same um, background. Right. So, um, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying for sure. And just on that point, mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that don't buy that argument that there's going to be a lot of jobs in the future. Really? And I've been on panels where I've been on panels with people who are pro that mm-hmm. and they can never answer the questions and I start to throw at them. Okay. Right. Um, you know, so on the, on the notion of the, the nursing and whatnot, probably right for a while, mm-hmm. but they did a, there was a study that was done in Japan okay. where they used, um, robot psychologists. And they had better results with the robot psychologists because they found people were more open with the robot psychologists because they knew that they wouldn't go back home to their families and discuss their wow. case at the dinner table. So they actually opened up more to the robot psychologists. Interesting. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, the other thing that people will say, well, you know, we will just assist AI more, right? That's the new jobs. New jobs is that we're going to work with and assist tech- uh, technology AI. I don't buy that for one second. When Uber did their, uh, when Uber had that autonomous vehicle accident where the, the autonomous vehicle ran over the pedestrian, they had a backup human driver in that vehicle, right? And the purpose of that backup human driver was that if the AI messed up, that the human would take over and save the day. Well, that human was watching Hulu on her phone when that incident happened. So there was no backup, right? The human was distracted. The truck ran over the pedestrian. Hmm. So it's the other way around. Technology can be there to catch us when we mess up, but we can't be there for technology when it messes up because as a function of who we are, we will, we can't just sit there waiting for a problem, right? That's the whole joke with uh, Homer Simpson and the, the nuke plant, right? Is <laughs> that nothing better go wrong in a nuclear plant because if it does, Homer really isn't going to save the day, right? And, and so we've seen that countless times. And imagine if you're working with AI and AI is so data driven and has no emotions or feelings, mm-hmm. it's going to be reporting to your manager that, Hey, get me another coworker, man. This Andrew Bromfield dude, he's, he's too slow. <laughs> All right. Here's the metrics. Right. Mm. And here's, here's 20 other people in the firm that I just did a report on and they're better than it. Like it's not going to be that simple as, as you know, there's going to be all these new jobs. I just can't see it. And when I, mm. when I'm on these panels, I tell them, give me some occupations. Tell me, right. It's 2019. Right. And we're predicting this stuff for three years away or whatever it is. Tell me what these new occupations are. Right. We're rolling out self checkout kiosk. Okay. So now, you know, all these people uh, eventually won't be manning the cash registers or operating cash registers. What are they transition to? Right. If we get to the autonomous vehicles and all professional drivers are eliminated from the workforce, right, which is slowly are being eliminated from, for example, trucking, right? Because a lot of those freight liners 
can drive themselves. And a lot of states are lifting the regulations on uh, autonomous vehicles and freightliners. They're allowing them to, to take the road. And so in that sense, you still need the driver, but you only need the driver to take the semi-truck onto the highway, exit the highway, and dock it, right? Routing, route planning, all done by GPS. Mm -hmm. Inventory control, all done by RFID, right? So essentially, as a truck driver, all you're doing is driving the truck on the highway, taking it off, and pulling up to a dock. So that job may still exist, but how much are you going to pay for it? If I'm a company and I spent all this money on the technology for the truck and to make sure that inventory is accurate as hell, make sure that the efficiency of the route is, is as efficient as hell by the GPS mm -hmm. and the truck can drive itself 90% of the time, I'm not going to pay an, a human the same amount of, 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 of wages, right? To do three, three things. Yeah. Drive on, drive off and dock. Right. Mm. And when the truck, when it proves itself that it can do those things itself, they're not going to have a human altogether. I mean, the perfect example is Uber even doing the autonomous trials right now. They do not want human. Their business is not for having human drivers. It's their basic, biggest expense. Probably, right. Yeah. And headache. Right. They, they want autonomous vehicles. And I've said this before, and I think in the prior podcast that when Netflix started and was shipping out DVDs, it shipped out DVDs via the mail just to start building a customer base and establishing their brand. But they knew that their destination was streaming. They just had to wait and before they had to wait until all consumers had high speed internet access and the technology compression and all that stuff was there that, you know, streaming, um, uh, a full length movie, uh, was fast and efficient, right? They still have the DVD service. I don't know why, but they still say it's actually profitable. Um, you still have it? Wow. They still have it in the States. Um, but yeah, obviously their focus is, is streaming. And, um, yeah, so, so, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, technology is, is, is one in which the end goal is always perfect efficiency. And perfect efficiency or maximum efficiency is removing humans from the process. Mm -hmm. That's that's, that's it. part of the equation. Yeah, that is the equation, right? If you can get something automated, a hundred percent accurate, running twenty four seven because it doesn't need sleep, doesn't take sick days, doesn't need vacations, that's maximum efficiency. Humans aren't maximum efficiency, mm -hmm. right? So again, if we look at just the driving profession and we say there's no more drivers, which is like I think when I was on that panel it was like over a million. Yeah, over a million, I think, in Ontario that is categorized as driving as a profession, right? Wow. So you eliminate a million people. We're not talking about 7,000 people being laid off at GM or 2,000 people being laid off at Ford. One million people. What are they going to do? Jeez. <laughs> right? What are they transferring to? Mm -hmm. And and take into effect, and this is what I said on the panel, that half those professional drivers got displaced from something else. That's not their occupation of choice. That's not their occupation of first training. They've already been displaced. So you displace them again. What are they going to tell me the occupations that they're going to? Nobody can answer that question when I answer it, when I ask it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm just talking driving alone. There's a whole slew of things that are on the chopping block. Mm. You know, legal, uh, you, you know, you come from healthcare. 
radiology. Yeah. That's a piece of cake for mm-hmm. these computers to look at a, at an image and look for calcification or a fracture on a grayscale image. That's like child's play to these computers now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they make their money radiologists on the volume of how many, um, you know, cases they see and report on. Uh, AI could do that thousands, you know, per second. You know what I mean? So that that potentially it, it is undergoing changes already, right? They even start to offshore radiology because of you know telecommunications, right? So you could have a radiologist in India uh, report on the X-ray film, right? Because they can get the images over the internet, report on them, and send the report back, right? So they already started doing that to cut costs. But these machines that are coming, I mean. You know what I mean? So, what does a radiologist transition to? <laughs> That's their specialty. Yeah. That's their specialty. And it, and it took a lot of years to get there, right? Um, and that's the other thing that people make the mistake of thinking is that when we talk about displacement of jobs because of technology, that it's low-skilled jobs, I would say that the primary target is high-skilled jobs, right? If I'm IBM and I have the opportunity to sell to a customer replacing low-skilled minimum wage jobs, or I can sell them software that will replace high wage jobs. This is where they're going to go, right? They're going to say, replace the high wage jobs first. If you can do that, if you can get rid of my legal department and have Watson legal power that whole department, I'll pay you the whatever it is per year because you're saving me X amount, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So I'll pay you a million bucks and you just save me, you know, Whatever it is, 50 lawyers, right? Wow. Wow. <laughs> you got an interesting perspective, man. That's that's why I wanted to do this again. Um, with technology, is, I mean, is too much technology a bad thing? I guess it might depend on the age. Like what, or, and on, on top of that, what age would you introduce um, kids to technology? Because I know you spoke about just focusing on the kids. Um, understanding logic and focusing on learning how to build something from scratch. Um, what age would be would be a good age to introduce them to technology? Um, so there's yeah, so there's introducing them to technology and then having them consumed by technology, right? Mm. So I think you can introduce them to technology at you know a relatively young age. I don't think that's harmful, but it becomes harmful when you just stick technology on them and that becomes their toy at three, four years old. Um, I don't think that's healthy at all. Um, and I think, you know, again, us who have been in, caught that wave of technology right as it was cresting, um, we didn't spend our childhood with technology. We spent our technology making toy guns and stuff out of cardboard and wood, right? That's the creator. That's, that's how we were creators, right? Mm-hmm. And so, how we look and view problems from the human perspective, right? And then figure out, okay, here's a digital solution that will satisfy this is different from just um, being engrossed with technology and learning everything from technology, right? So the example I'll give is like, I would say kids will get an understanding of gravity and physics uh, much more clear 
by building a Lego tower until it becomes unstable and falls over, right? Because it's too tall and the base is too narrow, right? Versus doing that on an iPad with, you know, fictional blocks. Very true. Right? Yeah. So that's our focus with our kids is to make sure that they understand how things work and operate in the real world before they start messing around with it in a simulated app, right? They'll, they'll know physically why things happen, right? They'll understand the concept of gravity, right? And not because it fell over in the app, because it fell over for real, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's, I think that's the difference. I mean, there's a whole, cons- the, the, you know, one thing that stuck was the whole concept of uh, consumer or creator. I want my kids to be creators, not consumers. So I think that's, you know, I mean, there's been studies too that show that introduced too early, um, these smartphones and whatnot, video games produce the same brain activity that being high on crack does. Wow. Right. And that's why when you take it away from them, they're punching holes in walls and whatnot. Yeah. Because it, it, it simulates, they did an MRI. Like, this is some, this is the MRI of someone who's high on crack. And this is the MRI of a child who is addicted to a smartphone. Same brain activity. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, you just keep hitting me with the, the, the mic jobs, man. Every <laughs> um, with technology now, the surgence of technology, what would you say is, I mean, there's so many things buzzing, but what would you say is like the focus of technology now that's really, really driving it? So I, I think there's this push towards artificial intelligence. See, people who create technology, startups and whatnot, a lot of them are trying to go after investment, right? They're trying to fund their ideal through investment. So they think they have to say certain buzzwords to get that investment, like blockchain, AI, machine learning. That's all you hear, Right. All these pitches is just like an alphabet soup of all these uh, buzzwords. Um, so I think a lot of people are most are focused on one of those three things, machine learning, artificial intelligence, or blockchain. So I definitely would say that, uh, that that's the focus. But, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, the only way that artificial intelligence works is if it has access to an incredible amount of data, right? And so how do we get this incredible amount of data? Well, that's what the mobile phones are now for, right? Because when you have an app on your phone, you turn on location permission so that you can check in somewhere. That doesn't turn off when you don't have the app visible. That's always recording your location, right? Uber knows your location at all times, whether you launch the app or not. They know exactly where you are. They know your movements. They know your schedule. They know everything about you, right? Because they're always tracking your location from time you have that app installed. Whether you see it, whether you click on it and open it or not, it's running in the background, sending back updates of your location at all times. Um, Surrey, Cortana, all these things, these speaking assistants, Google Assist, they're always listening. Right. You can only say, Hey, Google, if it's listening all the time and waiting for you to say, Hey, Google. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's not like it's turned off and you say, Hey, Google, and it turns on. I wouldn't know to turn on if it wasn't listening all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So as you talk to these things and ask it questions, it's mining the data. Right. Same thing with Facebook. Everything, every click, every 
mouse cursor move, everything you do on Facebook is being recorded and tracked, right? So all this data is what AI uses to make its assumptions, predictions, and performance operations, right? So if society wisens up, which it seems to be doing where Facebook is concerned, but if that starts to change, if my kid's generation says, hell no, we want our, our privacy back, and guess what? We don't even have a Facebook account. That changes the whole equation for this AI machine learning instantly. Instantly. Kills it. Because data data is the blood of machine learning and AI. Without data, it, it's useless. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so... Although those are the hottest and, and, and best trends right now, I see that as society wisens up, that uh, that those could actually be reversed. That's so that's um, you know, that's my prediction. Interesting. And with technology moving so fast right now, where would you? Where do you see technology moving in the next 10 years? Like, I mean, it is hard to predict. It's impossible to predict. It, it is, you know what I mean? So, but I mean, based off of, I mean, is there, what 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 do you support seeing in the future? So, again, I think that my personal belief is that something will break down in society to the point where the brakes are put on, right? Bill Gates, Steve Hawkins before he passed, Elon Musk, um, there's a number of big players who are saying we're playing with fire with this AI stuff. Like we're really playing with fire. Right. And so I think that, and with this Facebook stuff, you're seeing that governments around the world are starting to look at, um, really regulatory, regular providing regulation over all these services. Right. They're talking about breaking up Facebook because it's too big, breaking up Google, breaking up. Right. So I think that what will stop the advancement of technology at this rapid pace pace is society's pressure on government to put the brakes on it. Right? I can't see us going 10 years without 10 years of rapid technology development without society pushing back. I can't see it. It has, yeah. It has to. Yeah. Right? Like I said, a million people gone from the driving profession if we, if we make autonomous vehicles, right? It's, 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 society will push back. There's no doubt. There's no question in our mind, right? So that's why I can't predict what happens in the next 10 years. I know if it was left unchecked, artificial intelligence would get to a point where it's phenomenal because we have quantum computing coming. What's that? What's quantum? So quantum computing is, is a revenue, the next revolution in processing architecture, right? Okay. So, you know, the computations that a quantum computer can do are unimaginable by today's most powerful computer, right? So I can't remember the, the timeline off the top of my head, but just to give you an example, let's say something like current encryption algorithms like the SSL used to protect your bank site when you log in, you have a little lock and key at the top, mm-hmm. you know, with that hash and, and whatnot, the algorithm in, in, in the bitlet, to, to decrypt that or to break that encryption would take the most powerful computer like a hundred years to crack, right? For a quantum computer, that's like 90 seconds. Wow. Right? So all the encryption algorithms used today are useless once quantum computing comes in, right? 
And that, again, that deep fake of Arnold Schwarzenegger and rendering, that used to be something that could only be done in a Disney studio, right? Because they were the only ones that had the money and processing power to be able to render something like that. And now it can be done on anybody's computer, right? So the capabilities um, are, are going to be incredible, um, you know, once quantum computing comes into place, especially with things like AI and machine learning. Wow, that's that's amazing stuff, man. Quantum computers, jeez. It sounds like something out of um, uh, Star Trek, the Avengers. Like <laughs> when they went back in time. It's interesting how um, what we've seen in movies actually manifests itself in real life. Absolutely, like from Star Trek and like movies and cartoons, they've done a great job of saying what's coming, and it's actually happening. They're almost digital prophets, right? <laughs> and and it's like you know that's why, like Elon Musk and those guys are saying the Terminator scenario could happen, right? If you look like at Boston Dynamics and the, the robots that they're doing that can do backflips and all this craziness, um, you know, it was funny because Japan used to lead this in robotics. They had this little robot that used to play soccer. I don't know if they still have it, but for their, like, every demonstration they would do to show its capabilities was it playing soccer, right? So it could dribble the ball, to do all this stuff, right? And I'm looking at this thing saying, yeah, right, it's for soccer. That's one hell of a soldier right there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, uh, and again, you know, so Elon Musk, he said, listen, given the position that I'm in, given the fact that people make pitches to me from an investment standpoint, I've seen things that most people haven't, and I'm terrified by the stuff I've seen. And to the point where you discussed this last time, he's bought companies just to slow down what they're doing or to outright stop it, right? He's got another company uh, called, I think it's Neuralink. And so they're developing a computer that interfaces with humans through the spinal cord to give us a fighting chance to, to compete against AI. Wow. Right? So you want to talk about the wealth gap and the achievement gap? When you got some folks that are cyborgs, cyborgs, I mean, that's going to change things completely, right? Jeez. <laughs> so, um, again, it's for society to push back. We've done it in the past. There's been times where there's, you know, been out of control kings. And what do they do to those out of control kings? Off with your head, right? Mm-hmm. Society will, will respond, right? It's my, again, that's my prediction is that. Sooner or later, they'll see that, hey, we're getting squeezed out here. Um, I joke, I think I mentioned this last time, about, you know, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, all telling NASA to, you know, step aside, we've got this space race stuff, we'll, we'll develop the tech. To me, that's dangerous because those are individuals now taking over the space program, right? Which means... When these guys finally figure out how to get to Mars and colonize it, they ain't going to be looking out for everyone to bring with them. Mm-hmm. All right? And, and there's a reason why, in my belief, that they're all, like, anxious of getting to Mars. Like, Elon Musk is saying by, like, 2025, he'll, he'll be in Mars. He's already selling um, uh, tickets to Mars, right? One-way tickets. Because once you get up there, then you can buy... A house, I think a house up there will cost, starts at half a million. 
Yeah, because, I mean, and I don't know, people might call this conspiracy, but, like, with with climate change and everything happening here, like, Mars might be looking like a better place to live, you know what I mean, in, in, in the future. Right. Well, they're definitely looking at it. And like I said, one of the things that they're all aware of is overpopulation being the cause of, um, you know, a lot of this climate change activity. But obviously, the more people you have on the planet, the more carbon you have, right? And, and so, again... That might be a very exclusive group hanging out on Mars, right? No, 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 definitely, no, no doubts about it. It would be an exclusive group uh, that will be up on Mars. Mm-hmm. So, what what excites you about, um, or what technological advancements excite you about technology right now, currently? Um, that's a good question because a lot of them are 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 pushing my ethical boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So even if I look at advances in medicine, right? And say that they can make you live to 200. Do I really want to live to 200? Right? As yeah. a person of faith, it's like earth isn't the be all and end all to me, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I believe in a habit. Yeah. So I'll do its natural course here and hopefully graduate. All right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, for me personally, um, all this stuff like the digital assistance inside your home and whatnot, I think that there is a trade-off to having an assistant do everything for you and your mind being able to develop and stay sharp, right? So, you know, I, I come at it from the standpoint that if you don't use it, you'll lose it, right? And so, if if I rely so much on technology to do all my daily tasks, that's got to impact my intelligence. It has to. Right? Yeah. The, s- the same way that if you, if you, if you took someone who, uh, didn't have a cash register and had to calculate the change in their head versus someone who's only been on a cash register and gave them a challenge to return change for a 20 and the, you know, the price was 1156. You know that the person who didn't have access to that cash register would be able to calculate that much faster, mm-hmm. right? Uh, same thing with you know all these assistants in the cars, right? Self park and all these things. I believe that you know if 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 we don't push our brains every day, that uh, the capacity will decrease. And I'm of the strong belief that our capacity has to increase. Again, with fake news, all this stuff, you got to be able to process this stuff and be able to say it's fake. And there's a little bit of due diligence has to go to it, and I and I haven't seen it. So, for example, someone will send me an article and say, Andrew, what do you think about this? It's, you know, it's pretty interesting. And I'll look at the page, and I'll look at the ads that are on the page. I'll say, okay, first red flag. And then I'll click on the author link, and it's a dead link. And I'm like, this is fake, right? Mm. But so many people, people with a lot of letters after their name, send me stuff without doing that due diligence. Wow. And they believe it. And I'm like, this is fake. Like, how did you know? And it's like, da-da-da-da-da, right? Yeah. So so for me, when I see all these advances in technology, I'm telling you the people who are creating these advances in technology aren't using them. Because they're saying, no, I want my mind sharp. Everyone else's mind can degrade, but I need to be sharp. You know I'm saying? It's just like... uh you know, the executives at a cigarette company not smoking, but selling it. Wow. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Jeez, Andrew, man, take it easy, bro. <laughs> wow, man. 
Jeez. <laughs> um, I guess ending off, can you list a few um, technology resources, courses, um, or books that you would recommend to the Purposeful Story family? Uh, I'll have to get back to you, and you can post them as as links with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's just so much. Um, you know, if you're interested in technology or already into it, there's a there's a good site called Pact Pub P A C K T P U B dot com. But I'll send you the link. Okay, and um, and they're constantly have sales on on their their resources and um you know it's a good place for you to keep up and and learn stuff and make sure you're at the cutting edge um books i mean i see tons of books right over there right over there (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah there's i mean if you can see that whole top row has nothing to do with technology right Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's people like thomas friedman it's uh another one there that's not there that I love, um, innovators dilemma. Um, so there's, there's, it, it's funny because a lot of the good stuff coming out is, is by philosophers and whatnot who kind of think, um, tie all these pieces that everybody's missing, right. To say like what they're telling you doesn't make sense. Right. Um, so, so, you know, I, I just think that, as, as humans, um, as a society, everybody's got to increase their critical thinking skills, right? You know, I see it in politics. I'm involved with politics, not because I love politics, but because I run a business and I have to understand how politics is going to impact my competitive landscape, the, the environment that I operate my business within. But, you know, so for me, I know all three parties' platforms, right? And I judge and compare and make decisions based on that. I'm not a hardcore liberal because my parents are liberal. I'm not a hardcore. I'm just someone who's constantly looking and understanding, okay, this is the environment of Ontario or Canada or Toronto, whatever the jurisdiction is. And these are the policies that make the most sense based on what I know, based on what I see with the future of work, et cetera, et cetera. And so I make decisions based on that. <clears throat> but I, I have to take in all the information. Right. Where now on things like Facebook and whatnot, these are echo chambers. So I'm a liberal on Facebook and I don't even hear the conservatives position. I just hear the take on their position by other liberals. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying and I'm relying on that. And then even furthermore, you, you may only be reading headlines and going around talking like you know something because you read the headline or a tweet. No, nah, man, you have to have depth. Right. And I think that that's what's lacking a lot now. Um, and, and we have to return to that. We have to get back to, again, you know, it's funny. So we have this mentorship program platform that we built. Right. And, and so everybody's expecting me to say like, yeah, AI and machine learning and all that stuff. And so I always tell people and investors like, no, we, we, our focus is RI. Right. And they're like, what's RI? real intelligence that's our focus is helping people develop real intelligence forget ai ai is a threat if you don't have real intelligence right so that's the call to action for us is to skill up is to become uh more intelligent i mean we were there we built the pyramids we built all these things with what we don't have today right 
Um, but I think that technology has the potential to dumb us down, right? And again, there's nothing more that kind of conspiracy theory, but this is true. If you look at history, there's nothing more that those in power want than for the masses to be docile or dumbed down, mm-hmm. right? That's how they get away with doing things without people noticing, right? You're distracted or you're not paying attention. So I think it's up to us now, um, as part of the masses to, to always be paying attention and developing, uh, those skills and not taking things for granted and not falling into echo chambers and to, you know, I don't know, you know, how it was when you were doing book reports and whatnot, but I was just reminiscing with my wife the other day that, you know, for us to do a, a, a book report in elementary school, we had to actually go to the library. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We had to take out books and anything that we quoted, we had to do the reference and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Right. Um, but it forced you to, uh, a understand what you're consuming because you have to do work to get it right. You can just go to the internet, do a quick Google search and then copy and paste and then cut it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think again, technology has the potential to dumb us down, but we got to be cognizant of that and start to reverse that trend. And I think the young folks are going to do it on their own. I don't think they're going to buy into all this stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So interesting. And what's the name of your mentorship program? I, I, I understand you were, you're in the process of building it or revamping it. Um, yeah, no. So we've, we've launched it. Um, it's a controlled launch right now, but it's my five mentors. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's my five mentors.com or my five dot IO. And, um, and yeah, I mean, again, the, the sole purpose of that is, is to provide or formalize the mentorship process, uh, but with a focus on preparing people for the future of work. And, you know, so all these skills, critical thinking, resiliency, adaptability, creativity, um, things that you're going to need to have or be equipped with, um, to survive. And, um, just one last question, like, where do you go for your news? Like, what are, what are some credible sources, um, you recommend to the Purposeful Story family out of all of the, the fake news and fake phishing emails out there? Like, where would, where would they go? Where should they go? So my, my concept of how, I operate now is that anything of value or truth to me has to be paid for. Right. Mm-hmm. So I have paid subscriptions to like the economist, right. Global news. Um, you know, so I read all the, the major papers, every slant from the Toronto sun to the star to CBC, uh, national post, um, I read them all. Right. And if, in particular, if there's a story that, you know, as a big story, I for sure read all of them to see what their take is from the different biases and then try to form my own truth from that. Um, from a technology standpoint, again, I usually, my, my first thing is to go to the source. So even when we're developing something and say we're using Microsoft technologies, uh, rather than just Google something and try to find the answer on a site that comes up in Google, our first approach is to go to the source. So it'd be Microsoft to get that answer. And if it's not found there, then we'll start to step back to a next best credible site, right? So it's someone well-known in the Microsoft community or whatnot. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we, we do it. It's just, um, and, and I do it personally, is that a pay for my source of news, um, but still vet it. Everything's got a bias. Everything's got a slant. So you have to consume multiple sources, but credible sources. 
And so, like I said, one of the things with the fake news, you probably know that something is fake news um, if the ads are, are, you know, are questionable, right? It's that miracle cancer drug, you know, click here and you'll be cured of cancer. Those kind of things will tell you right away, okay, that's their source of revenue. You've got to question these folks, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I would do all the time is just click on the author and read about the author. And nine times out of ten, if it's fake news, that link will be dead. Because the person creating that fake news doesn't have time to create a fake author. So they just put the name there in a hyperlink knowing that 99% of the people won't ever click it. Mm-hmm. Right? But that's one of your surefire ways to tell if it's fake. Right? And if you don't want to click the link because you think it might be a malicious, you know, lead you to a virus or ransomware, then just search the name. Right? Copy and paste the name into a Google search and see if you find that author. And if you find them, what school did they go to? What other publications have they done? All right? Yeah. So you just got to do due diligence, right? And I think that's what's lacking. I think we're way too trustful of the results that technology produces. Mm-hmm. Way too trustful. Interesting. Um, Andrew, thanks again for coming on this show. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Purposeful Story family, for tuning in. And remember to live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life. And this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. Because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at iamkobe.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, all I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music or CastBox, give a rating, and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to iamkobe.com forward slash purposeful story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Wrights for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.